0: Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weightloss. That's PlushCare.com slash weightloss. PlushCare.com slash weightloss. In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and and there's there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 Weight Loss.
2: I'm E.G. Marshall. What did the famous Frenchman say? Mirrors should reflect a little before throwing back images. Yes, and perhaps we should all reflect a little on questions before we start throwing back answers, especially on those deceptively simple questions which require such surprisingly complex answers, such as... Is there really such a thing as a ghost?
3: Well, sir, here we are. You and I.
2: What What do you want?
3: At one time, I wanted love. I couldn't have it. Then I wanted justice, but I couldn't get it.
2: Now, I want revenge. Revenge? But you've already had it.
3: No. Revenge is nothing but an appetite. It must always be said.
2: Please don't kill me. I didn't do anything. But you're part of it. Part of the revenge. Our mystery drama, The Avenging Ghost of Kitty Morgan, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Sam Dan and stars Mandel Kramer. It is sponsored in part by Buick Motor Division and ARM, Allergy Relief Medicine. I'll be back shortly with Act One. Be convinced of one thing. If you live long enough, you will learn the hard way never to bet your life on a sure thing. This is a story that takes place today but it began almost a hundred years ago near a little country village called Harrowwood in upstate New York. So for just a few moments, come back with me to a time in the 1880s. Here we are, Mr. Chesney. Yes, so I see. Be back around midnight as usual. No, Jim, I won't be staying tonight. You'd better wait. You ain't gonna have supper, Mr. Chesney? No. Jim... Tonight's the night. Uh-oh. I expect there'll be some weeping and wailing. But I'll leave her a nice gift. That should help dry her tears. I, uh, I don't think you'll shake this one off so easy. It's never easy, Jim. Miss Kitty Morgan strikes me as a different kind of woman. Well, you take it from an old campaigner. And they're all the same. I hope so. For your sake. This won't take more than five minutes. I'm sorry, Kitty.
4: Sorry? What are you sorry
3: about?
2: You knew this thing between you and me. You knew it couldn't last.
3: How could I know that? Tell me, what are you sorry about?
2: You knew I was married.
3: Just tell me, why are you sorry? Kitty, I. Sorry that it's over? Sorry that you lied to me?
2: I didn't lie to you. The terrible truth is, you lied to yourself.
3: Yes, that is a terrible truth. Is that why you're sorry? Oh, please, Kitty. Are you sorry that some countrywoman like me... You are
2: not a countrywoman.
3: Oh, yes, I am. My lord, Robert Chesney, builder of railroads, owner of factories. I am a countrywoman in a tiny town who caught your eye and with whom you amused yourself for a while. Is that why you're sorry? Kitty. Are you sorry that I, too, am human? That I could dare to dream? Presume to hope? perhaps love can change anything, everything.
2: Kitty, I never said that I loved you. This is the way the world goes. There are the takers and the givers.
4: And you belong to the first group. I to the second.
2: Kitty, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to do. But I want you to take this money.
3: How is it possible for me not to misunderstand?
2: Now listen to me, Kitty. To
3: what? I've been deceived? Must I also be debased?
2: This is for services rendered. You helped me plan Harrowood. You gave it the woman's touch. You endowed it with a certain grace.
3: I thought I was doing it for me. I thought it would be my house.
2: I only want to make this as easy and as pleasant as possible for both of us.
3: It is my house, you know. I put so much of myself into it. You won't get me out of there, Robert.
2: I'll be there forever. There's enough money here for you to travel. New York, Paris, London, Vienna. I'll see to it. You'll never want for money as long as you live.
3: It's my house, Robert. No other woman will ever want to live there. Every other woman will feel like an intruder.
2: Now, Kitty, there's a reality to the world. Let's salvage as much as we can.
3: Good night, Robert.
2: Does it have to end like this?
3: Please, leave me, Robert.
2: There's something I have to do. What's that noise? Mr. Chesney! Wake up!
4: All right. All
2: right. All right. I'm up. Come come in. <laughs> what, what, what time is it? Six in the morning, Mr. Chesney. You know I sleep till seven. I knew that. What, what is it, Jim? I see something's wrong. Yes, sir. Out at the mansion. Well? Uh, Pete Colson, the night watchman. Well, Jim, come on. Get to the point. He, he was making his rounds. Yes, You know, in the library, you got them high, thick, solid, exposed oak beams. Jim? Well, hanging on a rope, suspended from one of them beams, was Miss Kitty Morgan. Hanging? Yes, sir. Hanging. She was dead, too. Kitty's dead? Yes, sir. The coroner's already pronounced her. (laughs) Mr. Chesney? What is it, Jim? The note she wrote, uh, the suicide note, she wrote it to you. All right, what about it? Now that the inquest's over, uh, the coroner says you can have it. Here. Um, Thank you, Jim. You uh, planning to take a train into the city? After a while. I'll have the carriage ready. Thank you, Jim. I'll call when I want you. Yes, sir.
3: My dearest Robert, I told you I would never leave this house. And I never shall. Everything that was alive in me walked in here at sunrise this morning. And here it shall remain. Forever. In Harrowood. Forever.
2: Well, can I notice the name Harrowwood on this list of company
4: properties? Yes, Mr. Chesney. What is Harrowwood? Oh, it's an estate in the Adirondack Mountains. Yes? Oh, there's a mansion, a Victorian mansion, I believe. In the Adirondack? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, you see, during the 70s and 80s, I believe many millionaires constructed these enormous places, including your own great-grandfather. He built Harrowwood. Oh, well, why have I never heard of it? Because it was never used. What do you mean, never used? No one ever lived there. You mean it's been empty for a hundred years? To the best of my knowledge. Why? Well, you see, the place is haunted.
2: Would you repeat that, please, Miss Borkin? Haunted. Now, what sort of nonsense is that? Now,
4: I'm only telling you what I know.
2: You know the place is
4: haunted. But well, I've been told the place is haunted. No place can be haunted.
2: There is no such thing as a haunted place.
4: If you say so, Mr. Chesney.
2: Look, here we are in the final quarter of the 20th century, and you tell me that a valuable piece of property is lying fallow, useless, simply because of some medieval superstition. Tell Powers to report in here at once. Then if the property cannot be utilized, why hasn't it been sold, Powers? For uh, the same reason, sir. What reason? The ghost. In a state that's worth one or two million dollars? Now, Powers, you and I know there is no such thing as a ghost. I'm not sure I can be included in that remark. Are you telling me you believe in ghosts? What's come over, everybody? Yes, Mr. Chesney. Miss Borkin, see if you can arrange a lunch date for me with Tom Boulin. Tell me, why have you bought me lunch, Joe? Well, Tom, I owe you a favor. Oh, now, Joe, I mean it. I think back over the years, we've been good friends. You've always done a great many things for me. What have I ever done for you? Oh, we shouldn't keep scoring these things. Well, I just found out that I own some property upstate. Yes. It could be developed and make a mint as a resort. Uh-huh. Now, we're not into this kind of thing. On the other hand, you fellows are always looking for a hotel situation. Aren't you? Sure. All right. Now, how about a thousand acres, Tom? With a 30-room mansion, a private lake, you could lay out a golf course, has access to the throughway. How's that sound so far? Mm-hmm. Not bad. You could have your own ski slopes. And you're generating income 12 months a year. Mm-hmm. How much? I'm going to let you steal it. Two million. What's the catch? Tom, when you deal with me, is there ever a catch? What's the name of this place? Harrowwood. No deal. Why, what's wrong? It's haunted. What did you say? It's haunted. You? You? You believe in that kind of stuff? Everybody knows it, Joe. A woman haunts that place. A woman who's been dead a hundred years. How can a dead woman haunt anything? Well, it's possible, Mike. Great, 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 oh, add seven or eight more greats. Aunt. It's supposed to be haunting the Tower of London. Tom, are you serious? You mean you never heard of Anne Boleyn, the second wife of King Henry VIII? Come on, now let's get down to brass. She cut her head off. Didn't you know that? Yes, I know, I know. Well, my old man, to whom this kind of thing is important, traces our lineage back to Anne Boleyn's brother. Tom, can't we try to be serious? I am serious, Joe. As far as the existence of ghosts is concerned, I have an open mind, as befits a man of my ancestry. Are you going to pass up the buy of a lifetime? Let's face it, Joseph. What are you really trying to sell me? A haunted house. Has the whole world suddenly gone mad? How can sane, sensible people seriously entertain the idea of ghosts? Or is their sanity and civilization just a veneer? Well, now that I was aware of Harrowwood, I decided to check the matter out further with my aunt Sylvia.
4: Harrowwood? Oh, dear boy, shall shall you have some tea?
2: Well, Sylvia, we just had our tea about five minutes ago.
4: Oh, did we? Yes.
2: Now, about Harrowwood and Sylvia...
4: I have no recollection of having drunk my tea. Oh,
2: I assure you we did and we enjoyed oh, it.
4: Oh, I can recall so clearly what happened when I was a little girl almost 80 years ago.
2: Do you recall Harrowwood?
4: Oh, yes. Yes, Harrowwood. Your great-grandfather built it.
2: But why have I never heard about it?
4: Oh, are you sure we had tea? <sighs>
2: I guess the only thing I can do is go up there myself.
4: Oh, no, you can't do that. Why not? Well, because something will happen to you. What? I, uh, uh oh, first I'd better ring for tea. <laughs> we'll all be the better for a nice hot cup. And we'll have some of those sweet little cakes.
2: What will happen to me up at Harrowwood? Oh,
4: who said anything will happen to you up at Harrowwood? You did. Oh, would you rather have scones? Oh, why don't we have a little bit of everything? Oh, oh, now, now I remember. What do you remember? What will happen to you if you go up to Harrowwood? Yes? You'll be murdered. Murdered? Yes, murdered. Why? How? By whom? Oh, here comes Forrest. We'll talk about it later. First, we must have a cup of tea.
2: Yes, we're going to have a cup. And how appropriate is Mr. Fielding's remark on the subject. Love and scandal are the best sweeteners of tea. And as you might expect on this show, we can very easily add a third. Murder. We'll stir this brew a bit when I return shortly with Act Two. The Gift of Prophecy it pops up in the most peculiar places. Prophecy, the ability to read the future. But if you analyze it closely, it is based on an ability to understand the past. Outside of the Bible, as far as ordinary everyday people are concerned, the best prophets are usually children and elderly ladies, such as the one we have here. And Sylvia, why will I be murdered?
4: Oh, my goodness, said you'd be murdered, Joseph? You did. Did I? Oh, what a horrible thought! Oh, why would I ever? It has ever... to
2: do with going up to Harrowwood?
4: Oh, oh well, yes, uh, I, I remember now. Oh, and here's Forrest with our tea. Uh, set it down, please, Forrest. Thank you so much. Oh, see, she brought us little cakes and scones and nice buttered toast. And she didn't have to be told. And Sylvia... Now you must let me pour.
2: No, I really don't care for any more tea. Oh, nonsense. It's good for you. About Harrowood.
4: Well, your great-grandfather was murdered up there, you know.
2: No, I didn't know.
4: Oh, yes. You see, some silly girl committed suicide there. A local girl. Absolutely no breeding. And she also has the bad taste to haunt the place.
2: What do you mean, haunt?
4: What does anybody mean by haunt? The thing is obvious. Your great-grandfather brought your great-grandmother up there, and this dead girl's ghost just drove her out of the house.
2: I don't believe
4: it. You don't believe it. It's true. Your great-grandfather said, no ghost, not even the ghost of Kitty Morgan, will drive me out of my own house. Oh, he was a great one for ringing declarations. But not. So he stayed on. And one morning, he was found dead. Dead? The ghost had killed him. How? Oh, how do ghosts kill? They scare you to death. Oh, he, he could have had a heart attack or something of the sort. Oh, the man was as strong as a bull. Well, anyway, since then... Everybody knows that it's death for any male descendant of Robert Chesney to enter that house.
2: Everybody knows. What nonsense.
4: Oh, I'm so glad you could visit your poor old aunt. Uh, Why don't I ring for Forrest and have her bring us a nice hot cup of tea?
2: Who was it that said the lunatics have taken over the asylum? Whoever he was, the man is a true prophet. Here I am, surrounded by people who suddenly seem to have taken leave of their senses. Ghosts. The matter had to be cleared up once and for all. Yes, Mr. Chesney? Miss Borkin, find out from Powers who is looking after the property up at Harrowood and make arrangements for me to go up there.
4: You're going up there?
2: Yes, Miss Borkin. But... But what?
4: Is that wise? Wise? In view... of. Well, in view of the curse.
2: What are you saying, Miss Borkin?
4: Um nothing. Nothing at all. Oh, you
3: must be Mr. Chesney. Oh, but please come in. Miss Borkin phoned and said to expect you. Thank you. I'm Julie Miller. My dad is caretaker of the Harrowet estate. He's out there now. I expect him home soon. May I offer you a drink?
4: Julie
2: Miller. She had the blondest hair, the brightest blue eyes, the fairest complexion that I had ever seen. She was like a sunburst. Everything about her shone and sparkled. Had I fallen in love with her at first sight? Ridiculous. There is no such thing as love at first sight, just as there is no such thing as a ghost either.
3: Miss Borkin said you'd be here several days. So Dad told her we'd put you up here.
2: Well, thank you, but that won't be necessary. I I can stay at a motel.
3: (laughs) But you can't. Why not? Because there isn't any.
2: There's no motel?
3: Or hotel for 40 miles in either direction.
2: I find that hard to believe. Well, it's
3: true. You see, the folks here about sort of discourage that sort of thing.
2: What sort of thing?
3: Oh, how can I describe it? Mm, Tourism.
2: I don't understand. Tourism means money. Why should anybody be against that?
3: Tourism also means people.
2: Oh. You have anything against people, Miss Miller?
3: No. Just against some of the things people bring. Yes? Mm, Roads, traffic, fumes, stores and stands, shopping centers. Mm.
2: Well, that's progress.
3: (laughs) And who needs it?
2: Civilization.
3: And who needs civilization?
2: Well, Miss Miller, you can't be serious.
3: Well, most of us would like to see the place remain unspoiled. I see. What do you see, Mr. Chesney?
2: I see now why the estate is supposed to be haunted. It's a legend that you folks nourish very carefully to discourage the invasion of civilization. How clever of you to figure that out. And that's why the house is
3: haunted. Oh, I would disagree. The house is haunted because Kitty Morgan will have her revenge on Robert Chesney.
2: Now, just between you and me, Miss Miller, do you believe that? Of
3: course. Kitty Morgan was my great aunt.
2: Oh, you seem like such a sensible girl. How can you possibly swallow this nonsense?
3: Well, it goes down easily enough. And you, sir, should be careful not to describe the beliefs of others
2: as nonsense. Do you really believe that Kitty Morgan... Excuse me, Kitty Morgan's ghost murdered Robert Chesney?
3: Well, that's what the coroner's report said.
2: The coroner's report said Kitty's ghost murdered my great-grandfather?
3: It said death was due to causes unknown. A ghost is unknown. Can you deny that? There is Harrowed. Magnificent, isn't it? Yes. Dad has a crew that keeps the place up.
2: Appears to be in very good shape.
3: Are you sure you want to spend the night here?
2: That was the reason I came. Well... Are you saying that I have something to fear?
3: Well, I better not say anything. Why? Because it might set us off on a discussion where we would simply never agree.
2: About ghosts?
3: And other things.
2: I have a 30-room mansion, Miss Miller. I understand it as heat, light, water. It's my home. No. No?
3: It's Kitty Morgan's home. Oh, Miss Miller.
2: All right, I see you really believe it. So I shall respect it.
3: I wish you wouldn't go in there.
2: But I must.
3: Then I suppose this is goodbye.
2: Well, it's good night. Good night. The well, way you said that sounds as if you're sure you'll never see me again.
3: You were warned.
2: Warned? Oh, that has an ominous ring to it.
3: There's nothing I can say or do to persuade you.
2: I'll see you tomorrow morning, Miss Miller.
3: You're not at all what I expected.
2: Oh, what'd you expect?
3: Joseph Chesney. The rich, powerful Joseph Chesney. The man who'd be coming up here to ruin our lives.
2: Why would I be ruining your life?
3: Well, you'd be changing it. You'd turn us into one of those noisy, crowded, grimy resorts. All the peace and loveliness would be gone forever.
2: Well, now.
3: I thought you'd be a crabby, sour, grasping old man. Me? You're not. I should hope so. You're young. You're nice looking. You're... You're so easy going.
2: Me? Yes, you. Mm-hmm. Well, you're nice looking too. What are you doing up here? I
3: like it up here.
2: You know something? I think I'm beginning to like it up here too.
3: Well, then, don't do anything to change it.
2: I'll see you in the morning.
3: Please. Please be careful.
2: She kissed me suddenly. Then she was gone. I walked up to the massive front door. I turned the handle. It swung open smoothly. And I was in the house. I found a switch, flooded the place with light. I was in a magnificent entryway. I could see what a house this was. I lighted my way from room to room. Each was a delight. How beautifully this Kitty Morgan had designed Harrowood. I walked into the handsomely finished library, and I sank into an easy chair. So this is where Kitty Morgan had chosen to end her life. I looked up, reflectively, at the ceiling beams. From which one? I sat there thinking, thinking for a long time, and then. Someone said. What a lovely, comfortable room. Yes.
3: High windows. Not just for light, but to enjoy the view.
2: Excellent arrangement.
3: A library should be light and airy. I agree. It's best for the books. They can be ruined by mustiness and damp. Isn't that so?
2: Yes, that... Wait a minute. Who... Who are you?
3: Kitty Morgan. Who else should I be?
2: Kitty Morgan? Well, you're... You're a...
3: I am what you claim does not exist. I am a ghost.
2: A ghost?
3: Now, Mr. Joseph Chesney, what has become of all your theories and convictions and strongly stated opinions, Will you still say there is no such thing as a ghost?
2: I'm dreaming.
3: I. Oh, I must be. But you know that you are wide awake.
2: How can you be, Kitty Morgan?
3: I was born, Kitty Morgan. Well, it can't be real. It can't be. But here you are. Here I am. Well, this must be some trick. I whose part. <laughs> what do you want? At one time, I wanted love. I couldn't have it. Then I wanted justice. I couldn't get it. Now, I want revenge. Revenge? I discovered that revenge is nothing but an appetite. Must always be fed. It wasn't enough to kill Robert Chesney. You killed Robert Chesney? And so I swore that I would kill every Chesney who came in here.
2: You want to kill me?
3: You look so much like him. The same face. The same voice, the same smile that can be so warm
2: and so cold.
3: Do you have the same heart?
2: I don't know what you mean. Yes. I should kill you,
3: but I won't. Well, thank you. Don't be sarcastic, young man. I could do it quite easily. You think I'm a woman and so I can be overpowered. But I'm not a
2: woman. I'm a ghost. My strength, my power is not of this world. I think I understand why you would want to kill me. But why have you changed your mind? Why? Yes. Why?
3: Well, young Mr. Chesney, I believe I have other plans for you.
2: We think of ghosts as Floating, ethereal, disembodied, things that merely drift along. But a ghost as a reasoning, calculating, plan making entity? This indeed must be something new in the chronicles of ghosthood, ghost dumb. I shall return shortly with Ectoplasm for Act 3. Life is real, said the poet, and from that it must follow that death is also real. We know that death is the end of life, but is death also the end of existence? Tricky questions? Perplexing propositions? Maybe we even have to question basic definitions. What is life? What is death? What is existence? You say you have plans for me, Miss Morgan. Uh, You are, Miss Morgan. That is, it is correct to address a ghost by the name that she had in... in... Yes,
3: entirely correct.
2: Well, may I ask, what are those plans?
3: I'm tired.
2: Can a ghost be tired?
3: Oh, yes. You have no idea how tired. And Robert, your great-grandfather Robert, his soul, wherever it is, must be tired, too. How do you know? I know. Robert and I. We're. we're one. How can you say that? It's true. He married the woman who became your great grandmother, but he never loved her. He only loved me.
2: Well, if he loved you, then why.
3: Why didn't he leave her for me? Yes. He was too cowardly.
2: Oh, no. That's the one thing you cannot say about my great grandfather. He was afraid of nothing.
3: You're wrong. He was afraid of many things. But it doesn't matter now. It can end happily. Robert and I can find fulfillment through those who came after us.
2: I don't understand.
3: Through you and Julie Miller.
2: I still don't understand.
3: You're Robert's great-grandson. I am Julie's great-aunt. We shall live again through you. Through us? Through your love. What love? You love her, Joe. Don't deny it. And she loves you.
2: Well, how can that be?
3: That's what Robert and I also asked ourselves that night so long ago. A hundred years ago.
2: What are you saying about Julie and me? And
3: that's how it shall end. The terrible past shall end with the beginning of a wonderful future. Good night, Joseph. Good night. I know now you'll sleep and dream of Julie. Dream of her, Joseph. Dream of her soft beauty. Dream of your happiness.
2: Joe. Julie?
3: Come in. Dad went up to the mansion.
2: Yes, I know. I saw him.
3: I knew you'd be by. I made you some breakfast, three-minute eggs.
2: <laughs> three minutes, no more, no less. How did you know?
3: Oh, I know a great many things, instinctively.
2: Well, Julie, uh, as you can see, I spent the night at Harrowwood.
3: And nothing happened?
2: Well, I wouldn't say that. You wouldn't? A great many things happened. Yes? I fell in love.
3: With whom? The ghost of Kitty Morgan?
2: No, with the great-grandniece of Kitty Morgan. Oh. <gasps> yes. I do love you, Julie.
3: I know. I know. How do you know? Because I love you. Julie. And you see, when you love someone, really love someone, it's part of a chord. It's never a single note. They also love you.
2: You never heard of unrequited love?
3: You can only love if you're loved. The other thing, well, it's a state of mind.
2: You'd have a quarrel with most of the writers of romances. Mm.
3: Do I have a quarrel with you?
2: With me? No, darling, never. That's good. We must never quarrel. You happy, Julie?
3: This is more than being happy.
2: No, I wish it would never end.
3: Why should it end? Love is forever, isn't it?
2: You know, you sound... We sound like one of those romantic novels that you buy at newsstands.
4: Do you read those books?
2: Oh, sometimes. When you're waiting around the airport for hours, you read just about anything and everything.
3: Why should you be stuck at airports? Why should you even be at airports?
2: Because hmm? I have to travel. Why? <laughs> to make money.
3: Oh, don't you already have enough money?
2: Well, you have to protect what you have.
3: Mm-hmm. If you look at that deep blue in the sky and the whiteness of the clouds and the reflection in the still waters of the lake, and you listen to the birds, you realize how inconsequential all talk of money is. Mm.
2: Well. Admit it. Go ahead. Admit it. (laughs) Come over here, and I'll admit it. So the days passed. One just seemed to flow into another. Everything was so wonderful. It was like a garden of Eden. I had never met another girl. I should say another woman like Julie. I was happy. Content. But this wasn't the world. The real world. The real world rang the telephone one morning.
4: Mr. Chesney. I've been trying to reach you.
2: What's up, Miss Borkin?
4: It has to do with financing for that transnational deal.
2: Well, I thought we had that all lined up. What seems to be the problem?
4: Tom Bullen isn't too happy.
2: Oh, what's bothering Mr. Bullen? Uh,
4: He's on his way up there. He'll tell you in person.
2: Hmm. Anything else, Miss Borkin?
4: No, sir. I should think that would be enough.
3: May I pour anyone some more coffee?
2: Uh, I'll have half a cup. I'm, uh... I'm fine. Thanks.
3: Well, I can see you gentlemen have important business to discuss, and I have shopping to do, so I'm sure you'll excuse me.
2: See you later, darling. That's what's bothering me, Joe. What do you mean? Julie. I don't think that's any of your business, Tom. Tell me, Joe. Does she know you're married? Well, if you want the truth, she never asked me. Oh, Joseph. The fact still remains that it isn't any of your business. That's where you're wrong. My personal life is not... Come off it, Joe. A little affair here and there and occasional infidelity now and then is one thing, but this particular situation has gotten out of hand. I still say it's none of your business. Aside from being cruel, yes, cruel is the only word to describe it, to a lovely young woman. Look, she's my age. She's mature. She knows the risks she runs. What a way to put it. And the bottom line is still it is none of your business. I'm glad you mentioned the bottom line, Joe. That's why I'm here. Do you know the bottom line for the transnational deal? I'm afraid I don't follow you. It's a tremendous deal. It could be worth close to a $100 if we get it rolling. We've got it rolling. What's the problem? I'm putting up one-third of the startup money. You're putting up a third. And the other third is supposed to come from Marcella's father. What do you mean, supposed to? I have his word. What does a word mean to a man like you? Is the way her father's starting to think. After all, you stood before a minister and gave your word to be true to his daughter. Do you mean the old guy wants to back out? What we're getting back in town are reports, rumors, allegations—you name it—of an extremely hot and heavy romance between you and a girl up here. Tom, it's—it's—it's it, it's, it's just. Just what? It's just one of those things. No, it isn't, Joe. I look at that girl's face. I watch her as she sits there and listens to you. Joe, she's in love. That's just one of those things, too. I'll tell you something else, Joe. I've watched your face when you look at her. You're in love, too. Oh, you crazy, Tom. Let me tell you this. If you're in love with her, marry her. What? Divorce Marcella and marry her. Divorce, Marcella? It's all over between the two of you, and everyone knows it. Be truthful with yourself. I can't afford to divorce, Marcella. Why not? Because a father doesn't believe in divorce. What do you care about what he believes? Tom, I'm in hock. I owe him more than I'm worth. Joe. A Chesney fortune? How could How could I blow it? Easy. Bad advice here, bad investments there, bad luck someplace else. It can happen. I don't give a damn about transnational. Tell the old guy off and marry Julie. And live on what? At least you'll live. Tom, listen. You've I... only got one life. You'll never meet another woman like Julie. You're right. You're absolutely right. Good for you, Joe. Uh, don't you want to answer that? Hello? Hello? Sorry to bother you, Mr. Chesney. Well, what is it, Miss Borkin? Your father-in-law wants to see you at lunch tomorrow. Oh. Well, uh...
4: I'm to tell you this. Off the record, Mr. Chesney. Tell me what? Well, my spies in his office have let me know that he won't do anything drastic. Drastic? What are you talking about? Oh, excuse me. I'm talking about what we talk about all the time. After every one of your escapades... You always want me to talk to my friend, your father-in-law's secretary, and and assess the damage.
2: Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sorry, Miss Borkin.
4: Well, he uh, he'll want assurances, but she says you've managed to weather the storm. Uh, You have to be back in town tomorrow.
2: Yes. Thank you, Miss Borkin. I'll do better than that. I'll be back in town by tonight. What are you talking about? I'm leaving. When? Now. This minute. Aren't you going to say anything to Julie? No. No! I have nothing to say. It was fun. It was... Look, it was fun while it lasted. Now it's all over. You're just going to sneak out of her life. Well, you could put it that way. But at least... At least what? Have a confrontation, a scene. Do you mind if I don't drive you back in my car? I have my own. You're no good, Joe. I never said I was. (laughs) go back to the mansion and get my clothes I was all packed I looked at the place in the bright sunshine how could anyone think there could be a ghost here when suddenly everything seemed to grow dark was it my imagination or had a sudden storm now the library was filled with shadows and I heard a noise like a sigh, and then a voice. Don't leave her, Joe. No. This is my imagination. I know it's my imagination. Don't leave her, Joe. I have to. You'll be sorry for the rest of your life, and more. More? For the rest of eternity. I don't believe this. I don't believe any of this Ask him Ask whom? Your great-grandfather,
3: Robert Chesney He's dead We're all dead Not me I'm alive No, you're dead Everything that was alive in you died when you decided to leave, Julie
2: You're dead I don't believe you Believe her Who are you? I'm Robert Chesney And you died the way I
4: died.
2: You should have never come back to this house. I'm not dead. I'm not. I didn't know I was dead at first. My wife had the money. That's why I was afraid to leave her. That's what killed me. I want to get out of here.
3: It's too late. Please. Poor Robert. Poor
2: Joseph. Poor Kitty. Poor Julie. Let me out of here. Where would you go? Crawling to your father-in-law just as I did. Admit it. Admit it. Yes. You're better off dead just as I was.
3: Yes. Yes. Don't fight it,
4: Joseph.
3: Don't
4: fight it. I. I don't believe it.
2: No one knows why. It must have been the ghost.
3: The ghost of Kitty Morgan. Why didn't he listen to me? him. Why?
2: Because she must have had a reason.
3: Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Yes. You mean you actually believe that there is a ghost of Kitty Morgan, just as I do?
2: Yes. I believe it.
3: Oh, you're a very kind, understanding, and sympathetic person, Tom. Uh.
2: Certainly is. And so, what are we to make of our ghost story? Was it all in the mind? Did Joseph Chesney die of remorse? Perhaps of frustration because he was unable to do what he really wanted? Could Lively Julie have taken a hand in it? Or is there actually an avenging ghost of Kitty Morgan? I shall return with a partial answer shortly. ghost will walk, said the poet. And so, what are we to expect? It is said that we give up the ghost at that moment when the mortal essence leaves the body. Yes, we give up, but the ghost remains. It holds on to memories and desires, and it roams the Earth's And who is to say that at a certain time, when we're in a certain place and feeling a certain mood, we cannot see and hear the ghosts of what we once were, long ago, in another world. Our cast included Mandel Kramer, E.V. Juster, Bryna Rayburn, and Sam Gray. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. A preview of our next tale. Jenny, why did you have to go and meet my little brother before you did me? What's that supposed to mean? Don't tell me when I move close to you, you don't respond. Don't tell me you don't recognize that you should have been my woman from the start. I
4: think you must be out of your mind. I am about you. But I am your brother's but wife. What
2: you really want to be. You
4: know it is. Now, you just get your hands I off of me. I can't
2: convince you otherwise. The moment I saw you, I said, that's my woman. I've been waiting for you. you don't believe that. It doesn't matter what I believe or what you believe. It's what is. I am your brother's wife.
4: And I want you to let me go. I'll
2: never let you go, Jenny. As long as you're here, you're going to have to make your choice between my brother and me.
4: I've already made my choice. Have you, Jim? Have you really? You must be playing crazy. I love your brother, and every breathing moment he's alive, I always will.
2: Mrs. E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre.